Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Here I am with my buddy, Jonathan Frerick. We are hiking the Tour de Mont Blanc here in France. We've just gone over the Col de Tricot and we're heading down to Les Oches, which is right below Chamonix. We're doing a six-day version of this hike and it's uh, just beautiful up here. We're right below Mont Blanc and we were just able to see it. Now the clouds have covered it. We have some cowbells in the background and we've been talking as we've walked our uh, third day now all about just world events and faith and so many questions and Jonathan has some perspective that I think are really valuable. He's He, he really knows a lot about history and tomorrow is going to be the 21st anniversary of 9-11 and so I've asked Jonathan to um, you know, to say a little bit about himself and then we're going to talk about um, what people of faith in this period right now, you know, what sorts of concerns should be on our horizons, at least from Jonathan's perspective and, and mine as well, as we go into this next decade. So Jonathan, can you introduce yourself and, and then uh, just launch in if you'd like with what you think? Yeah, thank you, Bob. It is a privilege to be here and to be surrounded by the blessings of creation in terms of the majesty of the mountains and we know the role that mountains play in, in the life of faith, looking to the hills and regarding them as signs of God's strength and God's permanency and constancy with us. And I think those are the kind of values that might help us here on the 21st anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. My own background is not is partly in the Middle East where I worked for three years and I've had other dealings with that part of the world. Um, but I was born in South Pacific, uh, educated in Australia, educated in America, worked in Europe, um, been to Africa and many other places, many, uh, many other countries, many other times, a lot of times. And it's from that that I just offer a few thoughts about the anniversary. Like probably all of you, if you were somewhere where there was television on September 11, um, we didn't, I didn't know what to think. I, I, you just knew something was happening, like a crack in history was opening up and threatening to swallow us with the horrible events of that day. And uh, I think that's the first word, really, for all of us, is to, to lend our thoughts to the seriousness of what happened, to, to try to appreciate the lives that were lost, the families that are still bereaved, um, the, the utter horror of those attacks. And that responsibility, I think, is is the first and maybe the most essential thing for us to do. But I would hasten to say that um, if that's all we do, we risk having other horrible things happen in this world. Because an event like that just doesn't happen because some guys are crazy and they organize it and they make it happen. Many, many other events are behind it. And I think it's worth us to not only have that personal response as people of faith, but also to try to respond as faithfully in a more collective way. And the collective way for me would be to say, uh, think of who did the attack. Think of those who were um, completely unjustly and, and violently uh, struck by it. Um, and even as we pay attention to, to and think of the families and pray for them, perhaps also to 
think twice about where the attacks came from and how they happened. And that's where I think the collective mentality is helpful for us as Christians. So Jonathan, can you just give us a little background on why you see those attacks as happening? You know, kind of set them in the larger historical context. Yeah, that's difficult to do uh, probably without some contentious uh, statements. But factors that I would pay attention to are, in a word, the Western world, and we could say the Western Christian, Christian tradition world, influenced by Christian tradition, and their history with Islam. Um, and we can go back a long way to uh, find the trail. The, the, the trail of blood and of bloodletting goes back hundreds and, and almost more than a thousand years. And it's the guilt is to be found, the reasons on both sides, but to be conscious of that. And then to multiply it by the chosen foreign policy, I would say of the United States of America, and I'm an American saying this, but in that, in that part of the world, remember the perpetrators were largely from Saudi Arabia, which I think it's fair to say isn't a, isn't a society that um, is really caught up with the modern world yet in terms of dealing with diversity and plurality and, and tolerance and um, uh, freedom of thought and freedom of expression. And those hard-bitten people who did the attack decided to break away from even the sometimes very questionable foreign policy of Saudi Arabia and to go it alone to strike back at uh, the the evil empire, really, which they was how they think of America and how that those who still think like them think of America. And the reason I'm saying it's a collective issue is if you have a chance, go find a Muslim that you know or make a Muslim friend and gain their confidence, show them that you're concerned, show them your mind is open and ask them what they think of 9-11. Um, and they may join you 150% on the horror and the rejection of the violence. But underneath it may be a way to open the door to some kind of understanding for a historical context, which makes people like the perpetrators uh, choose the bizarre and horrible uh, attacks and tactics that they, that they demonstrated on that day. And I think that Afghanistan is critical for this discussion. Um, you could say, the treatment of Iran and Iraq comes into the picture. Um, how does the Western world deal with the Middle East? How have they dealt with it? Um, look up colonial history. What happened to the independence of that part of the world? Who took them over? And it's European Christian powers, America, not as a colonial power in that case, but since the war, um, doing things in that part of the world, which are hard for people's dignity. And remember, every person in the world has a big acclaim on human dignity as you and I do. Uh, God didn't, doesn't make second-class copies of God's self. They are made in God's image just like we are. And they can go astray. We know that we can go astray. And we can be think that violence is the solution. So in a word, on this anniversary, I think praying, thinking, maybe learning, maybe reaching out to somebody perceived to be of a different viewpoint, of a different faith, um, to see what they say about 9-11 and what we need to draw from it. And at this distance also to say, um, we have a, 
we have a, a chance to think back into the recent history and back into the the what's happened since that time. So how did how did the U.S. of A. respond to those horrible attacks? They basically responded to them with crushing force, persistent force, years, even decades of pressure on, and they came up in the end and managed to kill bin Laden. Uh, what I want to say here is something you've heard before, but it's a perfect, I think, example of where we have to think along these lines. Violence begets violence. And the only way a chain of violence stops is where one side stops and reaches out to the other or gets allies or tries something else. But America's role vis-a-vis -vis the Middle East when push comes to shove is, has been to use violence, to, to bomb, to send over drones, to do reconnaissance, to do the CIA. Um, and they'd already done that for nearly 10 years to get helping to get the Russians out of Afghanistan by arming the Mujahideen. Stinger missiles, the ones that the Ukrainians are asking for today, took care of the Russian Air Force to some extent and helped them lose the war in Afghanistan. Well, that might look like liberating Afghanistan from the Russians, but to someone like the perpetrators of 9-11, it could also look like, oh, oh, Uncle Sam's moving in and we don't need the Russians and we don't need Uncle Sam. So that violent response continued after the, the tragedy of 9-11 and basically lasted until last year when the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan after, how many years is that? 25 years of essentially fighting it from the air, you know, thinking you can solve a problem with jet fighters and bombers and drones and missiles. Um, and you can't. You can keep down some perceived bad people, if they are in fact bad people, but are you making them bad people by, by treating their part of the world that way? I would really invite you know discussion of that, um, re-examination of our own of our own reactions, wondering about our own contribution to the situation by perhaps uh, nurturing bad ideas about about Islam. But I, I really think going and and if you don't know some Muslims, go meet some. And take it easy, but if you have a good conversation, maybe it'll come to a point where they'll say something to you about how they see things. And it may be no different from you. It may be enlightening. So we, we remember back to, uh, you know, the U.S. response to 9-11 and how uh, the Bush administration almost immediately prepared for, to invade Iraq and then also Afghanistan. What's been some of the fruit of those invasions, uh, Jonathan? And, um, and why is it important to reflect on that now? Well, remember those people, especially Iraq, you know, they're, they're home to the oldest civilizations in human history. And they have a lot of pride and a lot of reason to be proud of all that has happened in their part of the world. And yet in our, in our day, it's a basket case to most of us. If you go there and meet people, that's not what you might think about it, but from a distance, the way it's covered for us and the way some of the bad things go, that, that's sort of true. Um, I think that's true in, a, in Iraq, even though they're struggling to kind of have a democracy now. In Afghanistan, you know, turning the country over to the Taliban after uh, fighting them for 25 years or 20 years. Um, that's a real tough nut, but we're, we're not going to solve that problem by attacking them again. So what other ways are there? And contact 
um, supporting the, the people who are there from the West. There are still, for example, UN agencies. There's a huge food crisis right now, if not a famine in Afghanistan. People are living on the margin of, of starvation and health isn't great. Services aren't great. We know how, what a horrible role many women are suffering under, under the rule of the Taliban. They need contact. They need outside, outside people who care about them and are willing to stand beside them. Um, and those are all reaching across the gap between the Western world and the Middle East is, I think, the biggest uh, restorative and, and constructive response that we can have. And of course, we can't do that all on an international basis, but we can do it one to one. We can do it uh, by, by, like I say, looking for in our wonderful pluralistic societies these days. Go look for those folks from that part of the world and um, uh, try to try to see what they think. Um, maybe you, you can uh, support a charity that's, that's still working in Afghanistan. I know the World Food Program of the United Nations is, is doing things there. Um, there are other groups that have stayed to try to, to do what they can in this rather still terrible situation. Um, and Iraq, uh, follow it in the news. Be aware that the, what most Western media aren't paying any attention at all. And, and uh, that's a recipe also for another bad surprise mm -hmm. because we're pretending that they don't matter. We're pretending that they, aren't, they don't share our same basic hopes and dreams as, as people. And, uh, and ironically, in the place where human history started, you know, where was the Garden of Eden? Probably in Iraq. It, whether that's literally true or whether it's allegorically true as an explanation of civilization, it's a beautiful, that's where Abraham came from. It's a beautiful description of the riches that we see unfolding in, as God reveals himself to the people in the Bible. So after after the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, and we saw the development of uh, jihadist movements um, and groups like ISIS and Boko Haram and um, and there's others. Um, now, as we are facing this next period of, of our of our history, there's so many issues that are you know that need to be flagged, and you know I think of the just global warming and the future of of that, you know, that on, on vulnerable African populations and, you know, people in the global South. And I can imagine a, just a huge refugee crisis. I mean, we saw that with, um, you know, with the Syrian refugee crisis and, uh, you know, refugees coming to Europe and other places from all over the Middle East. Mm -hmm. But now, um, what do you foresee and what should be on our, our sort of horizon I guess, what, what should we be looking for as people of faith as we try to discern the times? What would you say are some of the key uh, issues to take stock of and maybe to learn about right now, Jonathan? Well, this is a podcast, and I think we have to be careful about how many issues we bring up and whether or not we can communicate them in the you know rather frail words that come across like this. But... It isn't too much to, to, and it isn't premature to think about what you, what you raise, because from many, many points of view, one of the consequences of climate change, if we don't limit it by doing all the things we start, we're starting to hear more and more about in terms of carbon use and carbon production, keeping the, the rising temperatures down to 1.5 Celsius, um, even at that level, we're already seeing, we're not at that level yet, we're already seeing great movements of people. 
the migratory crisis in Europe to match the migratory crisis on the southern border of the USA, where people are setting out in small boats across the Mediterranean to nearby, nearby Italian uh, islands or Greek islands and making their way into Europe and asking for asylum. And um, remember, if we're talking mostly to a North American audience, a lot of our ancestors came to America because they were poor people and they wanted to have a, have a crack at a better life. And that's exactly what's happening and will be exacerbated by climate change in as much as droughts and uh, heat waves and lack of, of uh, potential for farming and so on create reason for people to leave. Now, how is that associated with 9-11? I don't, I can't say um, without uh, any, with any credence there are many direct links, but I think that we, we need to, to face the problems that are upon us, challenges that are upon us together now as a human race on this finite planet. We can't afford to have the uninformed, misguided and prejudiced policies which apply to the, the foreigners involved in the Middle East and apply to some of the radical movements in the Middle East. We need to reach out as, as people who want to find the middle with our friends in our own country and with our friends abroad who also want to solve the same problem we're all facing, which will be the pressing, increasing need to come to terms with changes in climate that affect so many parts of our lives. Um, so bottling ourselves up in a fortress, inviting attack because we live like we're in a fortress. And the fortress can be a fortress of just of wealth. I mean, if you look at American city these days or any city in the world, and you're from Mars and you knew anything about humanity, you would say, wow, what are these guys, what are they trying to hold out with all those tall buildings, you know, and all those glass and all those walls? And, um, I think that we might be a little bit on the wrong track there. Let's think of a global village. Let's think of living in, in smaller communities where we learn to live with, with the diversity that is now upon us um, as a blessing. Um, and if anybody, any of you have traveled in the Middle East, the first word out of my mouth for a, a foreigner who shows up there is, wow, the word hospitality gets redefined. And, and that, that's the, I think, one of the strongest traits in the region, hospitality, as, a, as just a, a custom with deep roots in Islam, deep roots in Christianity, uh, deep roots in Judaism, and, and welcoming a stranger. And it's not... It's very, very frequent, I think. If you out there, not as a tourist in a bus, but as a person walking on their own legs with an open attitude and showing respect for the local people, you'll, you'll, re, you'll be received with hospitality. And that, that's the heart of the Middle East. And it's you know night and day away from the tragedy we experience in this absolute rupture of 9-11 between societies. Yeah, I think that's really true, uh, Jonathan, the need to, you know, show hospitality and receive hospitality. And it's interesting that Jesus, his, uh, when he sent his disciples out, he sent them out to, um, in a vulnerable posture of, of going out and receiving hospitality from people. And um, anyway, I, I think that as I look at just a lot of attitudes, um, you know, in pe with people in the United States, and the UK, different places where I travel, I I see that there's a tendency that we have to, you know, to almost silo ourselves in communities of likeness, sameness. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like these days, uh, there's a tendency to other people and to demonize people. And what I hear you saying is, 
get to know some people that you would maybe naturally other and uh, and maybe even find yourself despising uh, mm -hmm. potentially. And um, and let's avoid the scapegoating. I mean, you know, how do we really undermine that scapegoating mechanism that leads us to you know be be willing to um, you know to just invade places or or implement policies that are super destructive to vulnerable mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been traveling these last three days on this Tour de Mont Blanc on this trail and finding ourselves walking alongside and talking with people from China, from you know mainland China, from uh, Israel, from you know, France, Germany, uh, the U.S., Canada, all, all kinds of places. And it's been just beautiful. It's a beautiful experience to, to be in sort of experiencing this kind of community in, in a beautiful place in this amazing wilderness. Um, and it's refreshing for us. And, and I hope we're getting clarity. And I hope you're experiencing some sort of clarity from just our conversation right now. And you're enjoying those beautiful cowbells in the distance. But anyway, as we sit here, Jonathan, is there anything else that comes to mind as you look out in this season of your life and you think, you know, wow, this world is just so broken, so hurting, mm -hmm. you know, like, are there a few other things that you can just flag for us that mm -hmm. come to mind? Like, I know you've talked a lot about killer robots and mm -hmm. uh, that's a whole nother subject, but, <laughs> but it's not that far from drones and, uh, mm -hmm. And we saw how the use of drones just exacerbated the situation in the Middle East and led to all kinds of, yeah. you know, just an escalation of hatred and even the rise of ISIS. Mm -hmm. So killer robots, what that's, what's that going to do? You know, how do we, uh, is there anything else you want to say about just things that you want to flag for us? Yeah, I would just, uh, I would just say that thinking as children of God, all of us, every country in the world, this human being, the crown of creation, to think we can solve anything by long distance strikes that in, in, in the case of the US and the advanced militaries of the world, literally can be soon turned over to artificial intelligence to make this, to find the so-called enemy, identify him with the data they have and take him out. To think that that's gonna solve a problem of any kind it's just going to make it worse and invite the same uh, attack back on you. And if you can't do it with a drone and a, and a, a computer or an AI, you can do it by hijacking an airliner. Um, and, and it's just kind of totally corrupting of what life is about and what, what the fruits of the spirit are, what the gifts of God are to all of us. So I, I, just in closing, I would say, the best way, in my opinion, to honor this anniversary of 9-11 is to stop, think, pray, mourn the taking of life. And, and if you don't do anything else, I think a solemn uh, time of silence, maybe read something you haven't read about before to understand better what happened or from the background and, and uh, make that your, your response to this anniversary. You've got more energy and your spirit is willing. Think about the, the collective responsibility to build, a, build bridges in a world so those sorts of attacks don't happen. Um, history will be marked by that, but also marred by that forever. Mm -hmm. And we need to be people who uh, help make it very, very unlikely that, that those sorts of horrible things happen. And that means stepping back, 
not relying on force, blunt force, deadly force, you know, just, just makes the world worse. Um, and the memorials to any war are, are worth visiting. I visit every war memorial that I passed. We just did it in Western France in, in First World War. It is so sobering to see that tens and twenties and hundreds of thousands of young people killed in that in that conflict. Um, and what did that solve? Not much. So be people of peace. Uh, find ways to to get to know a few strangers, and um, ask how your faith relates to other faiths on these basic, basic questions. I think you'll find a lot of common ground. Um, because if, if you're faithful to what you believe and you take other people that seriously, whether they be Muslim, Buddhist, or something else, asking them what they, what means the most to them, what precepts and values and hopes do they want to live by? I think you'll find amazing common ground that bridges cultures and, and uh, is a really uh, powerful way. The more people do it and the more there are people who are doing it to help us away from this sort of armed foreign policy that we tend to uh, uh, revert to. So thanks, Bob, for the opportunity and uh, God's blessing to everybody listening. Jonathan, I'm not going to let you get away that quickly. I have one more question for you. That, you know, this is this podcast we call Disciple, um, and it's really about learning to be a disciple of Jesus. And um, how have you maintained your faith through all of your this life that you've lived, where you've seen so much suffering, and you and you're you're so aware of so many, you know, really hot spots, global hot spots. Like, how have you kept your faith? What what is what do you come back to that keeps your faith in Jesus? Like that strengthens it and uh, and builds you up so that you can you know you can move forward in your calling. Well, um, I'm making you sound like more than I am, but I think we're all pretty much on the same wavelength. If we are willing to reflect on the Word of God and the parts of it that again are were the kinds you would you would want to put in front of a person of another faith and say, what do you think of this? And the thing that comes to my mind is the great commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, on the premise that God didn't make any, I said this already, God didn't make any second-class copies of himself or herself. Um, we're all, something about us is, is a, a, the essence of God reflected dimly through us. And... I think if you believe that, and you believe that really, at the end of the day, nobody's better than anybody else. The rich people aren't better than the poor people. And if you just check that out by meeting different kinds of people, I think you'll, you'll get confirmed in that faith. And people of other cultures, strange cultures, faraway places. And it's been a, a blessing to me to, to go to a lot of places like that. Um, but I was, I was born in Papua New Guinea and grew up with people who or some of the last people in the world to have contact with the outside world. And I think that um, somehow through my parents, through uh, reading the Bible, hearing Bible stories and a little bit of common sense, there's just no room to, to pretend that some people are better than others. We're all, we're all gifts of God. <laughs> and and uh, that doesn't change horrible news on the world scene. But it gives you hope and it allows you to work on something different. 
And uh, that is the truth which will prevail. And the, the, the calls for vengeance, the calls for justice, for striking back to, you know, to what they did after 9-11, to think that another war in a few more, three more countries would, would stop what was done in 9-11, just breeds more violence. And then some of the, rebel mo the uh, Islamist movements you mentioned, Boko Haram and so on, are, are, were given protein, steroids, by the Western militarized violent response to 9-11. Um, we need we need more politicians who are willing to talk about peace and say they want to be, they don't they don't want to uh, get elected by, on claiming they're going to build up the U.S. military department. For goodness sakes, if again for those who are Americans, look at the Congress who gives the Pentagon more money than it even asks for. They regularly run up the bill they're going to give them for next year. Say no, you need another three hundred billion dollars. You know, and you think what? With the things that need doing, take that back to the climate change problem. Funding for that, funding for, for people who are still hungry in this world of all productiveness. Um, it's like take the essentials of life, which many of us take for granted, and say, who doesn't, who doesn't have a fair share of this? And uh, how am I related to that? You know, um, I think there are ways to think about what's fair and what's uh, life-giving rather than life-destroying life, life destroying. Mm -hmm. that keeps you, keeps you on your track in world events and makes the world, the world's an incredibly interesting place and there's no such thing as a bad or boring country. They're, they're all good to go to and uh, it's a really a privilege to meet people from different parts of the world. And thank goodness we're closer to that than ever because of, of the migration that is going on. People doing exactly what many of our forefathers did and went looking for a different life. All right. Well, um, I just want to alert you to um, a course that Jonathan gave that's on our website, www.peopleseminary.org. It's a course called Discerning the Times, and you can um, you, you can go and sign up for it. It's in a self-paced version. We did it this year, and it'll cover a lot of a uh, lot of different. Um, global issues, and I encourage you to check it out. Um, I um, am right now, for the next three days, four days, we're going to be finishing this Tour de Mont Blanc. 44 years ago, I was climbing here in Chamonix, where I sort of hit uh, the end of my climbing career, witnessing lots and lots of people losing their lives on um, extreme climbs. And I turned my gaze towards uh, Israel in the Middle East where I felt led to go on a pilgrimage. And that began a whole new, began a whole period of my life that brings us to the present time. And actually I'm gonna be going next week to uh, Tel Aviv. And so I will be doing our podcast from the Mount of Olives next week. So tune in and uh, may God bless you and guide you and may the Holy Spirit give you discernment as you, you know, try to be a disciple in these uh, really complicated times that we live in.